The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? It's been a while, man. I'm just glad we are back. And yeah, it's been a minute and let's get into it. I hope everyone had a very thankful Thanksgiving and a safe holiday, and we are happy to be back here on another score. It's like Dwayne said, it's been a little while, so some things have transpired, and the number one thing that happened over this past weekend, Ron Rivera is out as the Carolinas Panthers head coach after a 29-21 loss to the Washington Redskins. Now, Dwayne and I, we will cover both of our teams in this opening uh, topic here. But first, we'll start with Dwayne, since the news is all about his team. Uh, They lost to a two-win, or one-win at the time, Atlanta Falcons. And then they followed that up about two weeks later losing to the two-win Washington football team. So was this kind of a uh, air coming out of the balloon of Kyle Allen that led to Ron Rivera getting ousted, or was this kind of the, you know, just a natural selection of things playing its course with Ron Rivera, who'd been there for nine years? A little bit of both. Um, I think I think that nine years – kind of up and down seasons, three division titles, a Super Bowl appearance, uh, a lot of stability in the franchise. Um, But at the same time, Kyle Allen, I think this was just, like you said, the air out of the balloon kind of thing because if you really just look at the grand scheme of things, people have adjusted to Kyle Allen, there's plenty of tape on him, and unfortunately he hasn't made the necessary adjustments lately that that allows other quarterbacks to be successful. So, it was a little bit of both, and uh, David Tepper, P- Panthers owner, just really just, instead of knowing the fact that he was going to be replacing uh, Rivera, Anyways, instead of just waiting and looking for other people while Ron is still coaching, you know, just go ahead and let him go. Um, it was a bittersweet day. I mean, on Sunday, I was calling for Ron Rivera's head. And then on Tuesday, I'm like, wow, now that it happened, it's kind of like bittersweet. But uh, this was a good nine-year run for the franchise, uh, the 15 and one season, obviously the three division titles. And I just think that, you know, injuries played Cam Newton. I think some 
went through two different GMs, uh, kind of like you know, revolving door GMs with questionable decisions or lack thereof. Uh, they didn't really get enough talent around Cam Newton. I think Eric Washington having him as a defensive coordinator after Steve Wilkes went to Arizona. I think keeping him as a defensive coordinator was a factor, even though he was calling the plays on defense. But the problem with the Panthers wasn't the pass rush because they are among the top teams in sacks. It was stopping the run. And Atlanta gassed them. Washington gassed them. Uh, Darius Geis ran wild. Uh, kind of really started with the Tennessee game that they won. Towards the end of that game, Derrick Henry ran wild towards the end. And uh, that run defense is really porous. So uh, a lot of change coming. You know, this will be the next head coach will be the fifth full-time coach in the 25 years. So, I mean, it is what it is at this point. Now, with I think what happened to Ron was just the fact of he was inherited inherited it by Tepper. It wasn't yeah. necessarily the guy that Tepper went out and, you know, did the research on and hired himself. And I think with the way that last the way last year fizzled out after mm-hmm. such a good start. And then this year started out, you know, so so and then Kim gets hurt and then they kind of bump and then all of a sudden they start fizzling out again. I just think that in Tepper's mind he was just like, oh here we go again. Right. And Sometimes I don't think owners take into consideration injuries and things like that. They're just kind of looking at, okay, what's the pulse of my team and my franchise right now? And I guess he felt things were going into a direction in which Rivera wasn't going to be able to kind of spin him up out of it. So he decided to, to let him go. Now, speaking on behalf of my favorite team, the Washington football team, we used to own the Carolina Panthers. It used to be like a guaranteed win no matter what. But here lately, the Panthers have gotten much better than the Washington football team, and they've actually won like the last five or six. So this was a game I was really hoping to see Dwayne Haskins kind of improve his performance from the week before against the Jets, where he was just inaccurate. Or excuse me, against the Lions, where he was just inaccurate and really didn't do much until the last two possessions of the game, which got them a win in that game. And then in this game, he was much more on target. It's just that his receivers were dropping the passes uh, this week. So uh, Terry McLaurin didn't really have a a good game that he normally has. Um, Kelvin Harmon dropped a pass. He should have went up with two hands for it, went up with one hand, dropped it in the end zone. Um, So the receivers didn't help him out a lot. But like you said, the running game for the first time in like five years, decided to show up and Adrian Peterson had 99 yards and Darius Geis had 100, almost 130 yards on like 10 carries and made Shaq Thompson just humiliated him with a stiff arm in the open field. Um, so it was a, it was a game where I wanted them to play well and lose because i really want them to, you know, be at the very top of this draft coming up for next season. But with the Bengals and the Dolphins winning, uh, we got to stay in our same spot that we were in, so the wind did not hurt us when it comes to our draft stock. But very encouraging to see Dwayne Haskins step up in this game, face a team with a good pass rush, 
he took some sacks, but he also made some plays um, off schedule, which were good to see. So uh, the development of the young man is coming along. Uh, now what he needs to work on is uh, just being more efficient in the red zone. Um, he's moving the ball. We're getting, uh, you know, they're getting into the red zone. But then once they get there, they're settling for too many field goals. So that's kind of the next thing that he's going to have to kind of clean up in this uh, last four games of the season is just getting more efficient where they're scoring more touchdowns once they get into the red zone and, and not as many field goals. But, um, you know, surprising outcome for sure. Uh, this game started out 14 nothing. It looked like it was going to be, you know, a route. Uh, turn it off by halftime, but um, the Panther, the uh, Redskins got an interception and kind of changed again the momentum of the game and uh, got going from there. Yeah, and I just think that also, I think, yeah, that interception was definitely a game changer. Um, I, I think Kyle Allen just made it a bad throw, made a bad decision, and and he paid for it, and I think that also I kind of I turned it off when it was like twenty nine fourteen. Then next thing I know, I see it's like twenty nine twenty one, and then and then the onside kick gets happened. I'm like, I'm not even gonna fall for this because because I know what's gonna happen. And shockingly enough, I think I was more shocked that they did have a chance. And I kind of just wish that, you know, you got one of the best backs in the league. Um, utilize them a lot more um, in those situations. I think everybody in the building kind of knew it. But still, you want to give the ball to your stars towards the end of the game. So, Speaking of giving the ball to your stars towards the end of the game, the Baltimore Ravens, behind a 15-play drive by Lamar Jackson, defeated the San Francisco 49ers 20-17 with the Justin Tucker field goal at the gun in the battle of the league's two best teams. This game was played in the monsoon in Baltimore. Um, pretty much what you expected between these two teams. I mean, just a slugfest. The Ravens started fast, and, and San Francisco's defense had to adjust and slow them down. And they did in the second half, for the most part. Came down to a couple of fourth down plays. Uh, San Francisco did not convert on theirs. Baltimore converted on theirs. And, and that's the story of the game uh, with Justin Tucker coming through in the last minute. So uh, just your assessment of the two best teams in the league going head-to-head and what could possibly be a Super Bowl preview? Um, I think this was indeed a Super Bowl preview. I want to say that I want to see if these two teams cross again in the Super Bowl. Hopefully the weather would be better and we could see what what really is um, the, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the uh, true makeup? Because, uh, you know, the elements can affect a lot of things, but I really like the fact that, you know, Lamar Jackson's preparation for this game, he kind of saw the forecast and decided to practice with the wet football. And when 
and that practice paid off because, you know, he really did do a great job taking care of the ball. I think the 40 – I like the defensive battles that that these two teams had in this game. But what Lamar Jackson is doing right now is amazing. And I think it's also a testament to John Harbaugh uh, John Harbaugh adjusting his scheme to the player rather than the player. I think we touched on this the last time we talked, right? Mm-hmm. About the player. It said the player adjusted the schemes. And I, you know, I, as I was watching this game, because actually, uh, I actually ended up, um, you know, between red zone and actually watching some of this game, I see exactly what we talked about. So. Uh, and, you know, because Harbaugh was on the hot seat along with Ron Rivera last year, but this season is really taking him off this hot seat uh, because of the adjustments he's made for his quarterback. The one thing that showed up in this game that I think uh, surprised me the most was just um, how San Francisco was able to run against Baltimore. I mean, we all know that that is the bread and butter of uh, Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers, but to see it against a Ravens defense that's really good uh, against the run and the pass, and to see uh, Mozart get like a hundred and over 120 yards rushing in that game uh, was really eye-opening, and it may be kind of a formula that some of the AFC, team, AFC teams can use uh, later in the season and into the playoffs to maybe uh, kind of keep the ball away from Lamar and their offense, and uh, we'll see how that uh, plays going down the road if the Ravens can improve their rushing defense. But I think San Francisco is the first team to really kind of show people that maybe if you can get to the edges and in the, in the, uh, towards the – cornerbacks and away from the linebacking core that you can get some things done on the ground against Baltimore. Uh, the Houston Texans, they they took control of the AFC South after a victory over the New England Patriots. I think coming out of this game, there are more questions about the Patriots than the Texans. Um, it's just another game where the Patriots offense just struggled to move the ball and score another game against a mobile quarterback and a team that has some serious, uh, you know, balance between running and passing where that new England defense didn't look as vaunted and as stout as well. So we'll take things from the new England Patriots perspective. I think everybody, you know, kind of realizes that the Texans are the cream of the crop over there in the AFC South. Um, is Belichick going to be able to coach his way out of this one? It doesn't look like they're going to have anybody step up um, as far as an outside receiver or a tight end threat. It looks like right now all you have is Julian Edelman and James White as far as reliable passing threats. Where are the Patriots going to generate offense from in these last four games ahead into the playoffs? I have no idea. Your guess is as good as mine. Um, the good thing for the Patriots, they only have one quality opponent left on their schedule. Maybe two if you consider the Bills because they got the Chiefs on Sunday. And then they are at Cincinnati, Buffalo, and then Miami. Uh, so with that being said, and 
three of these last four are at home. So uh, the one's only away games at Cincinnati this month. So with that being said, I think because they'll be playing a softer part of their schedule, we already have seen them get exposed. So this this question is kind of kind of a tough one because once they play the lesser opponents, they're going to look good, and then people are going to say, "Well, Belichick coached his way out of this one." Uh, the Chiefs game will be the test on Sunday. I don't think they have much aside from Edelman and White, uh, especially on the receiving core. Uh, of course, you know, uh, fellow Dorsett, he's been on the milk carton. Um, of course, Josh Gordon got shipped out, and now he's in Seattle. Um, it looked like the rookie uh, Harry from out of Arizona State uh, was gonna. Uh, he caught the touchdown against Dallas in the in the win, the thirteen to nine win, the only touchdown of the game in that game that was played in the driving rainstorm. Yeah. But then uh, he could not follow that up against uh, Houston the next week. So it looks like that's kind of the thing is that they're inconsistent with their young players on the outside. Very, very. And and so that's where that's where we will need to see where if whatever's going on in the receiving the receivers room with the coaches, the players, the offense, the offense side of the ball, Brady included. Um that's something that's definitely going to be a, need to be adjusted. And like I said, they got one quality opponent. I think if you you could probably get away with it with Cincinnati, um, I, the Buffalo Bills are like right there with the Patriots, and then you got an improving Dolphins team who have you know Ryan Flores said we're not here to tank, even though they try to tank every single game, but. Um, yeah, the Chiefs game will be the ultimate uh, test, really. All right. And then our last three major notes that uh, happened this past weekend, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, they dropped to 6-6 six and six after their loss to Buffalo Bills on Thanksgiving. Jaguars, they benched Nick Foles in favor of Gardner Minshew for the rest of the season. And the Seattle Seahawks, they take over first place in the NFC West after their win on Monday night against the Minnesota Vikings. So we'll go back to Dallas um, Jerry Jones in the past two weeks has basically uh, come out, put everybody on notice, talking about, hey, this team should be much better than they are. I have put the resources and the talent in the right places, and I'm not getting the proper return on my investment. And what he's trying to say is, I didn't pay no quarterback. I didn't pay no wide receiver. I paid a running back, and y'all throwing the ball too damn much. Basically. <laughs> It's quite as simple. Um, you know, they – you got an offensive line. You also invested in that, right? You invested in your running back. But you got a quarterback who's trying to get his $40 million, And you got a receiver who's trying to get paid as well. And you have a first-time offensive coordinator trying to establish himself too. Exactly, and that first time off since the coordinator is used to throwing the ball. Um, so, 
I can see why everybody's on notice. And quite frankly, this team should be at least eight and four right now. I'll give them maybe nine and three, but it seems like this. It's one of those years where nobody wants to win the AFC East, where it seems like. Um, and you would probably know this much better than I am being in the NFC East. Um, it's like the Cowboys have struggled, the Eagles have struggled, and the Giants and Redskins are, you know, basically in the rebuilding stage. And so... I think that I agree with Jerry Jones. I can understand where he's coming from uh, because this is where your bread and butter is that offensive line and that run, running game, but you're not utilizing it because there are too many ulterior motives. Just from an observer standpoint, uh, I think guys are focused on their individual goals versus the team's goals or what's really good for the team. And that's contributing to this uh, struggles. But I'm sure that most people are happy about that, being that they're not Cowboys fans. Is it time for us to start talking about the Seattle Seahawks as a real serious contender in the NFC now that they've beaten the San Francisco They've beaten the Vikings. They're officially in first place out there in the NFC West. And now San Francisco was the first wild team card. I mean, wild wild card team. Is it time for us to make uh, Seattle much more of a threat to win the NFC this year? What about the Saints? They're a bigger threat. Nobody's talking about them. I mean, the Saints beat Seattle. And they got the 49ers coming up. So, uh, I think that we are overlooking New Orleans. Uh, they have steamrolled those. They have steamrolled through the NFC. Uh, Seattle is a threat. I will say that, but they're not a bigger threat than the Saints because the Saints beat the Seahawks uh, this season in Seattle at that with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. So for me, I think the bigger threat. In of the NFC is the are the Saints, but I did love the Seahawks new addition uh, celebration. Shout out to uh, Jerome Brown, David Moore, and Tyler Lockett for that. But um, but Russell Wilson, he's putting up MVP numbers as well. He's been playing lights out. Uh, you know the Vikings are not uh, slouch whatsoever, and. I just really think that, you know, Seattle is a threat, but a bigger threat is down in the bayou in New Orleans. All right. So that are the headlines out of this past weekend in the NFL. Now we're going to shift over to college football as we had a rivalry weekend complete itself over the Thanksgiving uh, weekend as all of the traditional rivals faced off against each other, including Auburn. Ending Alabama's streak of college football playoff berths with a win in the Iron Bowl. This was a, a maybe an Iron Bowl, unlike many others, as uh, each team almost scored 50 points. The second quarter itself was insane. Uh, both teams scored 24 points 
uh, in that quarter alone. Um, so just talk about Alabama. A lot of people think that we are starting to see the beginning of the you know foundation of the Nick Saban stranglehold on college football beginning to crack as they suffered two losses this year. They won't be in the college football playoffs. Uh, the defense wasn't as suffocating as we've known it to be. They got scored on at an alarming rate this year. Um, so just talk about what this means for Alabama as they're going to miss the college football playoffs for the first time uh, since its inception. Well, I mean, it's bound to happen eventually. I mean, we know that this juggernaut has been happening for quite some time. And it could be, a, I mean, for some players, it could be fatigue because they, I mean, they have played basically these whole years up to the college football playoff for four straight years. But my thing is that there were a lot of cracks. There were a lot of injuries. There was uh, normally, you know, the machine that is the Crimson Tide. You plug in the holes. You plug in you the next man up mentality. Go in play well uh, dominate but uh, with um, so many different variables I think teams have caught up a little bit to um, the tide a little bit to Nick Saban I mean the LSU game for one in Tuscaloosa uh, Joe Burrow was magnificent in that game and then the Iron Bowl where Auburn was lights out as well. And, you know, this is the first time for everything. I mean, there's eventually going to be a, a CFP without Bama, and this is just having to be the year. Now, what I would love to see is some more chaos and make everything a lot harder for the committee on Championship Saturday. But I know there's no guarantees of that, and and um, we do need to kind of see what will play, how it will play out uh, if Georgia gets knocked out, or if Utah or Oklahoma sneak in, or Baylor, somebody. But uh, but I really think that. I really think that this this is a monumental day. It's a good thing for college football to have, you know, Bama out this year. Because then we can see how they respond. Will they go back to domination or will they continue to struggle? Ohio State, they made a statement in their rivalry game over Michigan with a 56-27 win. So they're going to advance to the Big Ten Championship game to face Minnesota. Uh, more questions about Jim Harbaugh after this. Uh, plus this, I think, fourth or fifth straight loss to Ohio State. Um you know, Michigan for the past three seasons has come into the season with lots of hype and have really uh, failed to live up to those expectations. So it doesn't look like uh, the Michigan boosters ran and collected all their money to get them up out of there like Florida State did to Willie Taggart. But 
do you see Jim Harbaugh surviving uh, this offseason at Michigan? I talked to a friend of mine, a coworker of mine, who's a huge Michigan fan, and we actually asked this question to him. And he said, basically, Harb. I mean, as long as and and kind of a sad thing is, as long as Michigan gets their wins and they can beat Ohio State, he can do basically whatever he wants because that's unfortunately become the norm at Michigan, which should be the norm. But this new normal is what it is. So I don't see Harbaugh being gone anytime soon. I do know that the preparations need to change. I think Justin Fields kind of put it best is that Ohio State prepares for Michigan the next year. So, like, after the win over, you know, after they beat Michigan, they're already prepping for next year. While Michigan is kind of just going through the motions until the game week, and then they get trounced, whether it's in Ann Arbor or if it's in Columbus. Well, I think this is what it is. I don't think Michigan has any talent. They don't have, especially on offense, they don't have no NFL players at any skill position. Steve Patterson ain't going to play in the NFL. They don't have a running back that's that lights up the highlights every week. They don't have a receiver out there or, or two receivers out there making plays every week. And I think that that's just what it is. It's just that Ohio State has far superior talent. That too. And, you know, no matter how much of a coach, coaching job Harbaugh does, and no matter how hard they work or how tough they are or whatever, their discipline, you know, you're not going to overcome that level of talent unless they make mistakes. And Ohio State, when they play Michigan, that's the one game they tend not to make mistakes. I can agree with that. So I think that Michigan has to really start to um, start recruiting some more talented players at skill positions on offense. And then maybe that will kind of even the playing field with Ohio State. And that way, you know, instead of them getting 27 points, which for Michigan is pretty damn good, they can get 46 or, you know, 54 or something like that. If we have a few more talented players uh, at the right positions. But I think overall that that is the biggest difference in these last five years. If you were to take a, 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 a NFL draft, uh, thing of Ohio State players in the last five years in Michigan, I, I, I know significantly the Ohio State list is longer and they have right. better players. Right, right. In a monumental upset, Virginia, they earned a berth in the ACC championship game with their first win over Virginia Tech in 15 years. Um, the young quarterback uh, there for Virginia um, just lifted his team on his shoulders in the uh, third and fourth quarter. Uh, this was a nip and tuck game right down to the end. Virginia's defense made a couple of uh, good plays. They got a um, 
they got a they got a touchdown uh, strip in the end zone. They recovered for a touchdown. They got a safety, and they kind of help uh, shift the tide of that game. But this was a a very close game, a very well played game as well. But now Virginia, they're going to roll up to Charlotte this Saturday and have a chance. You said you wanted chaos. Well, here's your first chance at chaos. Do you feel that Virginia? has a puncher's chance against Clemson in the ACC championship? Uh, I must say, unfortunately not. I will be shocked if they do have a chance. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is is phenomenal. And I just see that I just see Virginia showing up. But Clemson is going to do what they have done the last several years, and that's uh, dominate this game. I mean, the last few years, I mean, different different years, different teams. But seeing the fact that they went up against a pretty well, they went up against a Miami team that everybody hyped up, and that didn't work out. I don't. I would love to see the chaos, but I don't anticipate anything happening from this game anyway. All right, so that's the ACC title game, Virginia and Clemson in the SEC. Georgia's going to take on LSU out in the Pac-12. We're going to have Utah and Oregon, and out in the Big 12, we're going to have Oklahoma versus Baylor, and of course Ohio State versus Minnesota in the Big Ten. So. Out of all of those scenarios, it looks like Georgia is going to be the team that everybody is looking forward to to take the L. So, if Georgia loses to LSU, which is a number one versus number four matchup in a college playoff, Georgia will have two losses and they will be eliminated from playoff contention. Who do you think will be the new number four? Will it be Utah, Baylor, or Oklahoma? I must say Utah, uh, and, it, and it's going to Oklahoma. I think if Baylor can trounce Oklahoma or vice versa, then the Big 12 winners in. If the Big 12 title game is pretty close, then I will go with Utah. If Utah manages to make it into the college football playoff, they will be the first team from the Pac-12 to participate in the college football playoff in the first uh, five years of its uh, of its inception. So this is a very, very, very important game for Utah and the Pac-12. Yes. Vitally important. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra Icon. You can find another score on CSPN.us. You can also subscribe and download to know the score through iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and YouTube. Now we're going to move on to our final topic of this show. A little bit of college basketball. It's been a crazy season already at the top. As Louisville became the fourth number one team of uh, this short season so far. 
So in reverse order, we had Louisville, we had Duke, we had Kentucky, and we had Michigan State. So far as our number one teams, they've all suffered uh, various losses. But I think, except for Louisville, I think the most shocking would be Duke losing at home to Stephen F. Austin in overtime at the buzzer. Uh, Just a tremendously well-played, well-coached game by Stephen F. Austin. All of their major contributors uh, played most of the second half of the second half and overtime with four fouls. Nobody fouled out. Uh, just a great coaching job on the last uh, defensive series by the coach of Stephen F. Austin. He really fooled Coach K. Coach K drew up his play for a man defense uh, after the ball was inbounded and the first initial pass to start the play. Stephen F. Austin changed into a matchup zone and it caused the turnover that ultimately led to the fast break basket at the buzzer. And Stephen F. Austin shot Duke in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Um, but Duke, they bounce back with a road win over Michigan State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, yeah, on the road at that, uh, Vernon Carey Jr. and uh, and uh, Jones uh, led the way. A very disappointing effort, I felt, by Michigan State, um, considering that they were the more experienced team. Uh, they beat Duke last year in the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four. Um, and in this game, man, Duke just blitzed them. They their defense was really wet, was really good. They turned them, uh, Michigan State over a lot, and they turned those turnovers into points. And uh, Vernon Carey Jr. just dominated uh, anybody Michigan State had down the post. Um, so very impressive win by Duke uh, against Michigan State. Um, Michigan over the holiday, they defeated the North Carolina Tar Heels. And the Gonzaga Zags to win the Bahamas tournament and to vault themselves from being unranked to number four in the top 25 poll. And then reality came knocking as Louisville uh, blitzed them in the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, the other night. <laughs> yeah, that I think that was highly. I think they the ranking the pollsters were very generous and vaulting them all the way to number four. I mean, yes, they had a good little run in the Bahamas. I'll give them that. But yeah, like you said, reality set in and life came at them fast, and they're not as top tier as they thought they were. You have to give Jawan Howard a lot of credit, though, early in the season with the uh, the teams that he has played. The team, except for against the game against Louisville, has uh, shown a lot of fight. They look to be well coached. They play well together. And uh, Michigan is definitely going to be a problem this year in the uh, Big Ten basketball. Uh, and some surprising outcomes in the ACC Big Ten uh, challenge from uh, Wednesday night. Virginia and North Carolina both get blown out. Uh, Virginia gets blown out unexpectedly by Purdue, which I don't think anybody saw coming. And then North Carolina at home doesn't even score 50 points as they get ran out of the gym by 25 against uh, Ohio State. Um, North Carolina has issues where they only have one person who can score. And Cole Anthony did not have a very good game game, uh, uh, Wednesday night. 
And so that basically led to the demise of the North Carolina basketball team. Uh, Roy Williams is going to have a lot of work to do because uh, I don't know where the wing scoring is going to come from. Batcott, the uh, freshman center power forward, and Garrison Brooks looks like they'll be a pretty formidable tandem uh, in the low block. But um, the transfers and um, Leaky Black, they just haven't gotten it done. Or Brandon Robinson alongside Cole Anthony as of yet. And uh, Ohio State definitely exposed that on Wednesday night. It's basically cut the head off the snake, basically. And when you do that, where is those? It's like you said, where's the scoring gonna come from? Because you take, you take the best player out, and there's no other complimentary scoring. Those things definitely happen. I think I was more shocked with that North Carolina result, being that it was in Chapel Hill, one of the more hollow grounds of uh, college hoops. But like you said, Ohio State had a good strategy. Um, Taking out, taking Cole Anthony off his game, and then with nobody else to contribute, those things happen. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting season in Chapel Hill going forward. Uh, the one thing, if you're a North Carolina Tar Heel fan, is that Roy Williams' teams typically are a lot better in late February and March than they are in December and January. So that would kind of be the thing that you, if you're a Carolina fan, to kind of hang your hat on is that they're going to improve. But, um, yeah, it's going to be some more nights like that if uh, nobody else on the wing can step up and provide uh, some help for Cole Anthony as far as uh, the scoring load goes. Uh, anything else stand out to you from this early, early part of the college basketball season? Um, Evansville went into Kentucky and defeated them. Uh, like I said, Michigan State uncharacteristically lost to Virginia Tech right out of the gate, and uh, they didn't have that, was in, that game was in Maui, and I think we look at Virginia Tech isn't really a slouch anymore. I think if they weren't coached by Buzz Williams, I would have a different view of this. Actually, they're not coached by Buzz Williams anymore. Oh, he yeah, went to he Texas left. A&M. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. But, so yeah, okay. I retract. Let me take that back then. Um, but, that, yeah, even then, I think, let's just put it like this. Virginia Tech is better in hoops than they were traditionally. In a sense, um, I think one team, two teams that have impressed me so far, and they both involve, um, they both were Jayhawk opponents. Uh, Dayton, uh, the way they played in Maui, Obi Toppin is definitely a problem. Um, shout out to the Jayhawks for winning the Maui Invitational. Um, and then Colorado, uh, the Buffaloes. They actually played Kansas and Allen on Saturday. Uh, they are the 2013, of course, Tad Boyle, former Jayhawk himself, coming homecoming game for him. And so, yeah, so I think Colorado, um, Colorado, Dayton, those two teams have definitely uh, teams to keep an eye on this season. And... And yeah, I definitely think that 
they'll be uh, prepared, well prepared. Uh, Colorado seven and zero on the season, so that's definitely something to look look forward to as they uh, march into Lawrence to face an old rival. One team that I was really impressed with, even in the losses that they had, because I mean every game that they lost was right at the you know last minute, was Oregon. Down in the Bahamas, they lost to Michigan in, in overtime, and they lost to Carolina in the last second, uh, just because Carolina made some free throws down the stretch. But uh, Oregon looked like that they're going to be um, a really difficult team to play out in the Pac-12 this year, and if they make it into the tournament, they're going to be a tough matchup for a lot of people. And then also a couple other teams, um, Butler. They are undefeated this season. Utah State has been playing very well as two. And then Seton Hall, they're actually 16th in the country. So uh, definitely, definitely some unexpected teams in the polls and and some pleasant surprises so far. I think there's no clear-cut favorite, which makes it – which makes the drama a lot more interesting and definitely make the tournament uh, that much more interesting too. Unlike last year as well, there's no clear-cut superstar. I mean, everybody knew, you know, who the main attraction in college basketball was last year and kind of everything revolves around if you got that one superstar player, you know, everybody presents you as the favorite. But so far this season, you know, there hasn't been a freshman or a senior or anybody who has kind of stepped up to kind of take the reins as like, you know, the face of this year's college basketball. But if Dayton can continue to win big time games when they have their national exposure, I think Toppin may be that guy. Yeah. Because his his game is 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 really good inside outside can handle the ball um i was really impressed with him in maui uh and dayton as well dayton is going to be a problem in the tournament so at this point Dwayne, i'm going to turn it over to you sir for your final thoughts and shout outs and thank yous as we come to the end of this week's know the score well it's always good to be back uh doing this i've missed this for the Last couple of weeks, um, work's been hectic, and I'm just glad that, you know, it's good to be back on the CSPN. So, shout out to the CSPN, shout out to all the content creators, shout out to the listeners, uh, family, friends. I uh, can't wait to be back home for the holidays. Um, my final thought has to go to Devontae Graham. So, Charlotte, the Hornets looked like they would be left for dead, basically, with um, Kemba Walker leaving. No, I uh, got Terry Rozier there. But who was going to really help pick up the slack and be a, be a force for this team? And Devontae Graham has stepped into that role. Um, he has been lights out. He hit 10 threes uh, yesterday against the Warriors. Uh, and the Hornets are actually ninth in the East, which is a lot higher than a lot of people probably had for them. 
at this point or any point of the season. Uh, Devontae's been averaging um, 18.7 points, 7.7 assists, 3.7 rebounds. He's shooting 41% from three-point land, and he's really has turned it on. I really wondering if it was going to be just a flash in the pan, kind of a short-term kind of thing, but it has been a sustained success. The kid has definitely taken this opportunity. He has seized this moment, and he's actually the leading scorer on this team over Rozier, who's right behind him at 17 uh, points a game. But uh, Rozier and Graham, definitely a nice combination. P.J. Washington has been a much pleasant surprise. He's actually been outperforming their last, uh, the draft from the year before, Malik Monk and Miles Bridges. So uh, the last two draft picks, I should say, in the first round. So a lot of surprising things coming with the Hornets. They're a lot more exciting. They're young. They're fun. And it's really good to see some positivity, especially when it looked bleak after uh, Kemba's departure. The one team that has surprised me in the NBA so far, the Miami Heat. Yeah. They are playing very good basketball. They have Jimmy Butler as their main guy. But, you know, other than that, they kind of got a bunch of role players and guys who kind of are just fitting in. And, uh, you know, kudos to Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley for just doing what they do. You know, they put together a squad that fits them within their salary cap and they coach them up well and uh, starting to pay off dividends for them uh, this year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Miami can keep their position among the top four in the uh, uh, over in the Eastern Conference of the NBA. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. I think, I think they play great basketball. They're right in the middle of the battle for the from two through five in the east actually two through six if you include indiana so between them toronto philly indiana all chasing the bucks in the in the east so yeah definitely agree with that I want you to give a shout out and thank you to everybody who listens to the cspn who listens to know the score give a shout out to my co-host Dwayne all of the podcasters uh, here on the network as well. Please support the CSPN by either uh, shopping with our sponsors. Amazon is one of our good sponsors. So go to our website, cspn.us. Click on the tab that says keep our podcast free. Then click on Amazon. Do your Christmas shopping as you normally would. And some of your purchase will come back to us here at the CSPN to help keep the network free and keep all the shows up to date and running. And you can also become a Patreon member over on patreon.com forward slash CSPN media. Uh, if you sign up for our three or five dollar tier there, you will receive exclusive content from the CSPN media in the form of videos and podcasts uh, for your patronage. So please consider becoming a patron of the CSPN and get more exclusive content only found on our Patreon page. My final thought is going to go towards a young man who definitely did not have any guidance in his immediate circle around him while he's either while he's been injured. That is cornerback Josh Shaw 
of the Arizona Cardinals, who got suspended through the 2020 season by the NFL for betting on games. And in one of his parlays, he bet on the Arizona Cardinals. How dumb can you be? Highly, clearly. Clearly, nobody ever told him about Alex Karras and um, Jerry Krause, Jerry Kramer, I mean. Two dudes who are legendary, who basically had to miss like a year and a half for gambling in the NFL. Oh, my gosh. Now, I understand, hey, you know what I'm saying? He's not playing. He may want to, you know, having to watch and endure these games. He may make may want to make them a little bit more entertaining. But don't bet on the NFL, son. When you play in the NFL, bet on everything else but that, if that's what you like to do. I just think that is a very unfortunate situation for a young, talented player who, you know, may not get back in the league because that's the one thing the NFL does not play about. You can beat women, you can abuse drugs, you can drink and drive, you know, you could allegedly be, you know, accused of murder, and you can get back in the league. But two things will keep you out of the league. Social activism for black people and betting. So that's where Josh Shaw is. Um, I don't see him getting reinstated. He appealed uh, the suspension through 2020, but I don't. Yeah, I don't really see him getting back into the league at all. Yeah, man. So hopefully uh, the XFL (laughs) uh, will come calling for him. But um, just a very unfortunate situation and just a total lack of judgment by such a young player. just hate to see that happen to him so good luck to josh shaw going forward and for all you other nfl players out there who like to place wages just don't bet don't on do the it. nfl Reconsider. yeah just every sport but the nfl right so for my co-host the libra icon i'm your host don de la Rente, and now you know the score